All right, turn your Bible to John chapter 7. John chapter 7, and uh, we're going to be there again this week. We've been in the Gospel of John, if you're visiting with us for the very first time. We've been in John since uh, the first of the year, and we are now in John chapter 7, and we'll pick up in about verse number 10. Uh, John chapter 7 and verse number 10. If you remember, Jesus is in the religious center of the world. He, he's in Jerusalem, the temple of Jerusalem. He was uh, trying, to, his unbelieving brothers, his brethren, at the time, they're unbelieving. They tried last week, and we were in our text, they tried to convince Jesus to uh, almost manipulate him into this this prideful ministry to show off in Jerusalem and to make himself known. And they were saying, hey, if you're, if you're performing these miracles and if you're doing these things, then why don't you show it to, to the people in Jerusalem and to the others uh, around? And of course, Jesus refused because he was not interested in fanfare. He was not interested in making himself a public reputation. Jesus wanted to please the Father and he taught the truth of God. You'll find in John chapter 6, when Jesus declared himself the bread of life, uh, many of his disciples, the Bible says, from that day walked away. They wanted nothing to do with Jesus nor his teaching. So here his teaching, in fact, was uh, even in John 7, the fact that he's declaring himself the God in the flesh. Many of these people want to actually kill him. Now think about it, I, I'm trying to read in John where uh, I know he started out and people were, the, the Bible says they were thronging him, they were pressing him, they were following him everywhere he went, they were just enamored, but by here he's actually hiding uh, for his life. There's some parts where according to our text he was not even to go because of harm could happen. That's how you go from popularity you can't always like or understand why. Don't always listen to the crowd, right? The crowd will cheer you this week and fire you next week, right? Ask these NFL coaches and these college coaches. They can be legendary for a year or two. Let them have a losing season or two. And the fan base wants to throw them off a cliff. Well, Jesus experienced some of that. Though Jesus wasn't here to please the people. Jesus understood what it was like to be misunderstood. Jesus finds himself in the temple and he's preaching the pure truth the, to, and the self-righteous religious crowd of Pharisees. They hated it and hated him the more for it. And I believe there's lessons that we can find just in this particular 10 verses that I'm going to preach this morning. We start in verse number 10 and I want us to understand what the Bible's saying here in John chapter 7 and verse number 10. Look at it with me. The Bible says this, but when his brethren were gone up, then went he also up into the feast, not openly, but as it were in secret. Now here's an observation. I, and by the way, I want to preach for just a few minutes this morning on Jesus, the teacher who needed no schooling. Jesus, the teacher who needed no schooling. Now I understand I'm preaching to some students this morning. There's a few of you in here that's going to school for a certain thing. Maybe, maybe some of you have been to school before and you went for whatever it was that you studied and you're now doing that and, and, and that's wonderful. But Jesus was not one that went to the, the, the uh, higher learning schools like the Pharisees. Jesus did not need any of that. And so they did not understand when Jesus began to teach how this man had that kind of vernacular 
when he was uneducated according to their standards. I want to give you three observations that I find in our text this morning in John chapter 7 and verse number 10. And according to verse number 10, when, but when his brethren were gone up, they went, uh, then he went also up unto the feast, not openly, but as it were in secret. The first observation that we come to in our text is Jesus Christ goes to the feast in Jerusalem privately, not publicly. Now that's the opposite of what his brethren wanted. The brethren actually wanted Jesus to make himself public. They wanted him to go public with his ministry, to make a big deal about what he was doing. Jesus, instead of going publicly, Jesus actually went privately. When the text says that Christ went in secret, do you see that in verse number 10? The last two words in verse number secret, it does not mean that he hid himself because he went to the temple to teach. What it means is he arrived without any fanfare or any uh, publicity, no paparazzi, nobody there flashing the camera, nobody there writing it down in the, in the Jerusalem times. He went privately. He did not uh, go for the purpose of showing himself as the Messiah because he actually said in previous verses that his time had not yet come. It wasn't time for him to reveal himself in that manner. And may I say this, God's timing is of things in your life and in my life is something the majority of people cannot see. God's timing. For instance, The timing of God's blessings on this church blows my mind. Just just fast forward to uh, January 1st when we officially moved into this building. And then I look today at both services and there's absolutely no way that we could go back to where we were in that other building with this crowd. We'd have people in the hallway. We'd have seats in the foyer. We'd have people probably turn around and leave. But guess what? God's timing. He knew what was going to happen to the Bible Baptist Church. Aren't you thankful for that? God's timing is always perfect. So remember, though we may not see it, God always sees it. It's God's timing. Here's observation number two about our text. And I'm going somewhere. Look with me in verse number 11. Then the Jews sought him at the feast and said, notice what the Jews said, these religious Jews, where is he? Now they're looking for him. Where is he? Look at verse 12. And there was much murmuring among the people concerning him. For some said he's a good man. Others said nay, but he deceiveth the people. And verse 13 says, Howbeit no man spake openly of him for fear of the Jews. Now notice what everybody's saying. Some said that Jesus was a good man. Some said that, that, that he was deceiving the people. That he was, he was actually manipulating the people. They were accusing him of deceiving people. Verse 12, they said he's a good man. The latter part of verse 12, they said he's seductively leading people away. In verse number 20, some said that he was demonic. Then you go down to verse 40, some said that he's a prophet. And then by verse 46, some said that he's the most powerful speaker they ever heard. Now, is that not all over the place? We go from from good man to demonic. From, from a powerful speaker to one who is seducing people away. 
I mean, it was all over the board. Now, observation number two is the religious Jews were looking for Jesus at the feast. They're wanting to confront him. And let me tell you what they're wanting to do. They're wanting to kill him. Disregarding the Old Testament law. What did the Old Testament law say? The Old Testament law said when God gave it to Moses, thou shalt not kill. It goes to show how hypocritical these Pharisees were. Let's get rid of Jesus. Let's get rid of them. And notice in verse 13, no one is speaking out in open positively about Jesus Christ for fear of the Jews. Can I tell you what fear will do? Fear will trap you. Fear of man is a snare. Fear is still a motivator. Fear often keeps people from speaking up about Jesus Christ. Hey, fear is the number one reason why a lot of people, listen to me, will not witness for the Lord. They're afraid. And listen, I understand it. I understand that fear is a real thing. Fear is something that grips You understand that, and I say this all the time, but I'm not joking. I'm not trying to paint myself and build myself up. You understand. Please understand that. But I have a fear of speaking in large crowds. Like it makes me a nervous wreck. My wife, am I telling it right? Just a while ago in a private room, it's usually me and my wife and just a little bit and the baby and we're just talking. I'm getting a little break between the services and I keep seeing cars pulling in the parking lot. People getting out of the cars. I still see the, the, uh, uh, the, the lobby filling up. And I see all these people. And I see guests coming in. And I looked at her and I said, Honey, I don't know if I can preach today. I'm a nervous wreck. Now you understand, I've preached to 10,000 people before. I've preached to 5,000. I've preached to thousands. I've preached just about every week of my life to an audience of somebody. So you would think, oh, pastor, you're just, you're just saying that. I'm telling you, I am telling you, I am telling you on the authority of the Scripture, I am a nervous disaster on Sundays. Stomachs in knots. Oh, I'm, and it's not worried about nothing other than what are these people in front of me? What are they doing? What are they thinking? Why are they still coming? I've been thinking that for nearly seven years. I don't understand it, but guess what? That goes to show that God can use anybody. Oh my goodness, I give God the glory. But do you see how Satan works? Do you see in verse 13 that no one spake openly of him for fear of the Jews? Satan always does his greatest work behind your back. He always goes and whispers in your ear, Oh, let me tell you, they're not going to like it. Or, oh, listen, these people don't like you. Or, oh, listen, when you witness, when you hand that track out, then people are going to make fun of you and they're going to laugh at you and they're going to be this. Hey, he is a deceiver. And let me just say this. He is a liar. And Satan had convinced these religious Jews to not speak openly about the Savior. I want you to look down in verse 14. The Bible says this now about the midst. About the midst of the feast, Jesus, this is the feast of the booths, the feast of tabernacles, still going on. Jesus went up to the temple and taught. So everything changes. And the Jews marveled, saying, How knoweth this man letters, having never learned? Jesus answered them and said, My doctrine is not mine, but his that sent me. If any man will do his will, he shall know of the doctrine, whether it be of God or whether it's I speak of myself. 
The third observation that I have for you this morning is this. Christ Jesus teaches in the temple, notice the key word, publicly. Verse 14 is a transitional verse where the story takes a shift. He finally steps into the temple. The the Feast of the Booths is going on. There's thousands and thousands of people everywhere. And Jesus begins to teach in the temple. More than one commentator has observed that very often you find Jesus teaching. At the age of 12 years old, when remember when Joseph and Mary could not find Jesus on their journey back to Nazareth? Where did they find Jesus at the age of 12? They found Him in the temple doing what? Teaching. It shows every one of us how important it is to teach the Word of God. Let's never overlook the teaching of God's Word. And that is what Jesus always did. Jesus always taught the Word of God. Jesus Christ was a remarkable teacher. Imagine having Jesus teaching about the things that pertain to Jesus. Can y'all imagine that? Can you imagine sitting in a place and listening to the Son of God teach about His Father? Or maybe the Son of God teach about Himself? Or maybe the Son of God uh, do a miracle? Do you, do you understand the, the importance of teaching? That is exactly what Jesus did. And they could not figure out where He was getting His power from. Go back with me to verse number 15. The Bible says the Jews marveled. They were in awe. They were shocked. They were speechless. Saying, how knoweth this man letters? Do you see that? Letters. The word letters in the Greek is the word grammata, which means it's, it's where we get our word grammar or speech. So literally, church, don't miss this. They were so mesmerized and at his vernacular. They were so mesmerized by his, his education. And here's what they were thinking. How in the world does this uneducated Jesus know more than we do? He did not come from our school. He did not come from where we came from. He did not sit under the teachers that we sat under. Yet this man, in his speech, knows more than we know. Where did this man come from? Where did he get power? Where did this man get these words that we... And they marveled, the Bible says, at his speech. Now, we do not know specifically what he was teaching that day, but it is obvious that he was teaching something very powerful. And the fact is, God's truth may not always be accepted, but it is always powerful. Just because you don't like it, and just because the crowd doesn't like it, doesn't mean that it's not powerful. When you saturate yourself with the Scriptures, the more powerful you become. When you present God's truth, you may not be accepted, you may not be understood, but the power will be sensed. I hope that one thing, you say, Pastor, I, I don't know if I'm ever going to come back to Bible Baptist. Well, that's fine. I, I hate to hear that. I would love to have you come back. We'll try to have a seat for you if you get here early enough. We'll try to find something for you. But can I, I, but can I just say this? I hope when you leave this morning... That one thing's for sure, that you've heard the Word of God preached and that it was preached with power. It's not my words. I didn't write these words down as far as the words that I'm preaching to you. It's the Spirit of God that 
that puts it in the heart of this preacher to preach the truth. Years ago at the University of Chicago, and they may still do this, but they did it every year. At the University of Chicago, they had what they called the Baptist Day. And they would invite area pastors to come and and uh, they and, and it was area Baptist pastors that would come and they, they would have a certain teacher, a professor that would teach these pastors. And boy, he knew he could actually quote verses in the Hebrew and he could quirk, uh, quote verses in the Greek. And uh, he was just a very, very, very educated man, but almost too educated for his own good. And I believe maybe what the university was trying to do was they were trying to impress these area pastors... So maybe that they would promote the, I don't know, but, but they were trying to impress them. And so they would have a special luncheon and they would have a guest speaker who happened to be a professor at the college. And this speaker got up and he started teaching that the resurrection of Jesus Christ was not really a resurrection. It was terrible. He then proceeded to say in some of the miracles that Jesus did, where he started to explain the miracles that they really were not supernatural and and a guy in the very back, an older preacher, been pastoring for many years, he started getting fed up with it. He said, man, this is garbage. The food ain't even good. <laughs> so he pulled out an apple out of his pocket. He began to shine that apple up, and he cleaned it off there, and he took a big old bite out of it. And boy, the room, it was kind of quiet. You could hear him just munching on the apple. He raised his hand, and... The professor stopped and he said, sir, let me ask, or he said, let me answer a question. You have a question? He said, yeah. He said, sir, I can't, I can't quote the Greek like you can. And he said, I can't, uh, I don't know nothing about the Hebrew. And he said, I don't know nothing about some of the subjects that you're talking about. He said, but he took another bite out of that apple, juice running down his cheek. He said, can you tell me if this apple that I'm eating is bitter or sweet? And the professor said, Sir, that's impossible. He said, I can't know unless I taste it. He said, Neither have you tasted my Jesus. Because if you've tasted my Jesus, you'd know what you're saying is not right. The reason these Pharisees could not understand the teaching and the words of Jesus is they'd never tasted of Him, the bread of life. They'd never took, taken a drink They'd never tasted of Him. And my friend, let me say this. Jesus teaches in the temple publicly. But can I give you a couple things about what Jesus was teaching? What was Jesus teaching in the temple? We, we don't know uh, other than what the Bible tells us. We're not really sure. But the Bible does give us a little overview of what Jesus actually was teaching in the temple. And I want to give it to you this morning Notice verse number 16, the Bible says this, Jesus answered them and said, My doctrine is not mine, but notice this, but His that sent me. The first teaching is this, behind the teaching of Jesus Christ was a divine source. Now, we know that Jesus can teach anything He wanted to because He was the Word, according to John chapter 1. Uh, John chapter 1. John chapter 1. But can I say this? That, that John chapter 1 is chapter 2. Amen. Uh, John chapter 1, Jesus actually uh, was declared the Word of God. But you understand, He did not get His information 
from just some other book or some other prophet. Jesus got his information and his teaching from a divine source, which happened to be God the Father. I believe it's a shame today that many Bible teachers and Bible preachers today don't think in these terms about their teaching. Many think that they're supposed to teach what they want to teach. And so they pick a few verses and maybe a subject and they go off on that and they start going off on a maybe a preference or a hobby horse or whatever. But the call is to teach the Word of God. We don't teach whatever we want to teach. We accurately teach the truth. Matter of fact, the Bible says in 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 15, we are to study to show ourselves approved unto God. Let me just say this. If you'll fall in love with the Scriptures and you'll study the Scriptures, you will rightly divide the Scriptures. It is an honor to preach the Word. It's an honor to teach the Word. And let me say, there's enough people out there that will twist the Scriptures and, and mess them up and take them out of context. And instead of exegeting, they eisegete and they mess up a lot of people. Do you understand, listen church, do you understand that you can read the Bible and you can twist it so bad that it can fit your narrative? That's how cults are started. That's how false doctrine is started. They actually take something out of context and we are commanded as Christians to rightly divide the Scriptures. And guess where the Scriptures came from? They came from a divine source, which is God. This is God's holy word. How dare we take the scriptures that we have and make them man's. This is not man's word. This is God's word. And by the way, this is God's holy word. I I can't stand listening to someone that could twist the scriptures and and mess up. And listen, there's sometimes a young preacher will get up and and maybe he's zealous and and little bit of maybe just a very little knowledge. And so he gets up and he'll preach something and and he'll sit down and thinks, hey man, I did a great job. But but training and helping and mentorship and, and education will help him understand. I've been there. I understand that. But when a man gets up and calls himself a teacher or a preacher, and knowingly twist the Scripture. we got a problem. we got a problem. Jesus taught, but He taught from a divine source. He was sent from God. Here's teaching number two. Teaching number two is this. It's found in verse 17. Read it with me. If any man will do his will, he shall know of the doctrine, whether it be of God, or whether I speak of myself. Now this is a key litmus test here. This is the test. You must be willing to do God's will in order to grasp God's truth. So many people come and say, what's the will of God for my life? What's the will of God for my life? Well, I know this, the more you get in the Scripture, the more it will become clear. Oh, it'll come clear. It's a simple formula that has never been superseded. This is a very important uh, verse to grasp in in John 7, 17. I, I might, if I were you, I would maybe circle it or underline it. This is something that that you should know. When it comes to human knowledge, you first must know something before you understand something. You understand you get that. Before you understand something, you must know about it. 
Let me say this. When it comes to God's knowledge, you first must live something before you can understand something. We don't just read God's word here. We are to live it. Let me just say this. If you'll do what the word of God tells you to do, and I ain't, it's not easy. It's hard. Like that loving your enemy. I have a hard time with that. I enjoy not loving my enemies. Like I enjoy, like who don't? Pray for them that despitefully use you. Have you ever prayed for those that use you? I don't like that part of the Bible. You say, Pastor, if I got up here and actually said, oh yeah, I try to do everything here and I love my enemies. Mm. Y'all might say, I I don't know if I believe all that. I'm just like you. When somebody doesn't like me and, and I know it and they try to hurt me or they try to use me or they try to stab me in the back, I have a hard time getting on my knees and praying for them and, and rejoicing when when they uh, have a victory and, and maybe rejoicing when they're blessed. I, I have a hard time with that. But, but church, you understand this. The more we do and obey God's Word, the more He'll reveal His will to us. You want to know God's will, young people? Obey His Word. You want to know if a man is teaching doctrine and it's accurate? You want to find a good church that preaches truth? Do His will. If a, Hey, listen, a good litmus test is not the worship team. It's not the singing ability. It's not the buildings and the property. A good litmus test of a Bible-preaching church is behind the pulpit. A lot of times people are caught up in false doctrine because they're not in the Word. Don't get your doctrine from YouTube. Don't get your doctrine from YouTube. Don't get it from Facebook. God, have mercy. Don't get your doctrine from these places where anybody can have a voice and and just put it out there and they get people to follow them. Get your doctrine from God's Word. Study to show thyself. Hey, teachers, study. Study. This is the litmus test. How to do God's will. We don't like it what God sometimes what God tells us to do, but but we ought to do it. I don't like what God tells me to do sometimes, but it's God's will. I don't like the places that God sometimes sends me, but it's God's will that I go there and minister. Hey, listen, let's do God's will. It's not always easy, but it's always right. It's like the guy that was walking at night, real dark. He didn't have a lamp. He didn't have a light. He, he stumbled off of a cliff, and he was falling off this cliff. And he felt a root sticking out of the cliff, and so he hangs on to this root. He's hanging on for dear life. He goes, help! Nobody around. Help! God, if you're up there, will you help me? Nothing. God! If you're hearing me, will you please help me? Nothing. God, I'll read my Bible and go to church every Sunday if you'll help me. Nothing. God, I'll do whatever you want me to do. Just let me and save me. A little voice came and said, let go. Just let go. Is anybody else up there that's listening? You ever been there before? God tells us, the Spirit of God says, just let go. Trust me. 
we want, we want physical help. We want somebody to tell us and coach us through it. Let me just say this. God wants us to do the hard thing sometimes. Just let go. Trust Him in His will. That's, that's part of the will. It's faith. We don't see it. Here's teaching number three. Look at with me in, in the first part of verse 18. The Bible says in John seven eighteen, He that speaketh of himself seeketh his own glory. Here's teaching number three that I believe Jesus is trying to imply in the temple is this. Some who teach are motivated by a desire to glorify themselves. Do you see that in verse 18? He that speaketh of himself seeketh his own glory. You will get a bigger and better following if you seek to glorify yourself. That's this day in which we live. You'll get a nice YouTube following. You'll get a nice Instagram following. You'll get a nice TikTok following. Make some videos. Build yourself up. Make yourself look nice. Do some videos and and people will follow you. That's how shallow society is today. But you start speaking truth, the following will unfollow. And let me just say this. Jesus warned of those in verse 18. He said, He that speaketh of himself seeketh his own glory. When you watch or listen to many ministers on TV, most are interested in accurately laying open God's Word. They're not interested in that. So most are interested in glorifying God, but glorifying themselves. There are people who teach strange things because they're arrogantly let them hold on to some spiritual gift, some spiritual giant for all the people to see. And such people are not driven by a passion to communicate God's truth. Some people may say, Pastor, how do you know when someone is glorifying themselves instead of glorifying God? There's some telltale signs. The first sign is this, his teaching will typically never offend anyone. Now, I'm not into offending anybody. I, personally, I want everybody to like me. I really do. But if you left every Sunday and feeling good about yourself, somebody's not teaching or preaching something. Like, I really do hope, look at me, church, I really do hope some of you leave today and you're just like, man, I feel like I've been in a boxing match. I feel like, man, I don't feel too good. I feel like I need to take a shower. I I feel like I just don't feel good about myself. Man, that preacher, he, I, I don't know. Every now and then, when we open up and exegete the Scriptures and preach it true, guess what? You're just going to look at yourself and say, man, I got some work to do. Oh, me. You know what that kind of preaching does? It gets your eyes off others and on yourself. I'm not talking about in a selfish way. I'm talking about in an examining way. See, I like preaching that does not create Pharisees. We'll get to that in just a moment. So the first litmus test or the first test to find if a teacher is truly glorifying himself instead of God is his teaching will typically never offend. But secondly, his teaching will not be true to the text or in context. I've never walked out of a service before. And all my years, Brother Will, of being in ministry, raised in church, I've never got up and walked out of a service because someone was mean or someone was uh, not teaching the Bible accurately. Listen, if you get up and walk out of a service, it better be a legitimate, 
like you get up to not to use the restroom or a, ba- a kid's misbehaving. I'm talking about you get up and leave, get your kid, get your and walk out and get in your car and leave. That that better be a good reason. Don't do it now, by the way. It's not good timing. <laughs> I've never done that, but my wife has. One time, we were invited to a meeting, if you want to call it that. And I was uh, speaking there at this meeting, and we were speak. I was speaking there, and there was this, it was a big, big, big meeting. I'm sitting in the back with my wife. My kids are small. This has been years ago, and the preacher gets up. The keynote preacher gets up, and I've never heard such uh, self-glorifying hogwash in my life. I'm sitting there, and I'm. I am blown away by this man's demeanor, condescending, borderline abusive. And then he takes scripture and just totally just demolished it. And Rebecca looked over at me in her sweet, humble, kind way. She said, I'll get more sitting in my car than this. She left. I was kind of looking around. Thinking, wow, this is, you know, I was kind of, not embarrassed, but I was, I mean, she didn't give an option. She didn't say, do you think I should walk out or do you think, I'm not listening to this. I I don't agree with this. She left. (laughs) Absent. Absent. I'm talking about blank seat. Absent from the body, present with the Lord. No, not quite that, but (laughs) gone. And I was a little bit set back because the guy, I was kind of worried about what he would think. He saw it. Everybody saw it. Just, well, not everybody. We're sitting near the back, but a lot, of, a lot of people seen it. Nobody ever said anything. They didn't have to. At the time, I was a little set back by it. I didn't quite understand it, but I, I was like, hey, you know, I don't have control of my home, but that's okay. That's all right. I ain't going to tell nobody. But when I look back at it, she did the right thing. It was not God's word. It was man's words, and it wasn't even good man's words. It was terrible. I would not want my family to sit under such preaching. It was not even preaching, Brother Lee. It was a rant. But it wasn't even a good rant. I've said in lots of rants, Brother Ken, I've said in people that ranted about a bunch of stuff, and when you left, you're like, man, that wasn't preaching, but it wasn't worthy of walking out. This was worthy of walking out and booing on your way out. It was terrible. Listen, church, there is tons of that garbage going on in churches all over America, and here's the deal. We wonder why 85% of Baptist churches are dying. The reason they're dying is the word is not being preached. We're preaching on all kinds of things, but what needs to be preached. His teaching will not be based on his his teaching will be based on his experiences and credentials. His teaching does not appear to glorify or elevate God but himself. And his teaching leaves most people feeling good about him. Never upset. Listen, them are just some things you can learn and get, get the idea that you're not listening to a man who is preaching and teaching the Word. And if you've sat under that, let me just say this. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. There's lots of people that have sat under a narcissistic 
bully, a, a pastor that calls himself... A, well, you know what a pastor does? A pastor is a shepherd. What do shepherds do? They, they feed the flock. I've got, a, I've got a friend. I love the outdoors. I love to hunt. If you're not a big hunter, if you don't like hunters, I apologize. But I like to hunt. I've got a friend who's a bear hunter, and he's got bear dogs. And he called me the other day. He's an older man, and he said... He said... Uh, he was just talking. He's, old, he's up in his 70s. I just listen every time he talks because he's got a lot of wisdom. He said, I've got a bunch of bear dogs. He said, Preacher, if I come home every day after work and I throw rocks at them dogs and fuss at them, every time I walk out there to feed them, what they're going to do, they're going to run from me. He said, but if I walk out there every now and then and pet them and feed them from my hand and give them little treats... He said, they're going to hunt for me. We've been hunting all these years. He said, we can't go in our pulpits and sling rocks at our people. Because what do we think they'll do? They'll run from us. I'm not in the rock slinging business. I'm in the feeding sheep business. And we feed from God's word. Here's the third teaching. Or the, the fourth teaching is this. It's found in the latter part of verse 18. But he that seeketh his glory that sent him, the same is true and no unrighteousness is in him. One who teaches to glorify God will be righteous and true. And by the way, Christ, of course, is the one in whom there is no unrighteousness. His teaching was true. His motivation for teaching was true. His goal was to glorify God. And by the way, I wish this was more of the goal of teachers today is not to glorify themselves, but to glorify God. We should never get in a place to, to, to showboat or to get people to ooh and ah over our teaching and over our knowledge. Listen, this is not for you to teach and impress the crowd. This is time for us to teach and glorify God. Here's the fifth teaching is this, teaching... Look at verse 19. The Bible says, Did not Moses give you the law, and yet none of you keepeth the law? Why go ye about to kill me? He kind of turns the tide on these Pharisees. Teaching number five is, You are hypocrites concerning your false belief that you keep the law. He turns it on the Pharisees themselves, this religious Jews. He says a self-glorifying person thinks he can keep the law. He never judges himself and... He never judged himself in a true and righteous way. Pharisees always see themselves as better as everybody else, right? And Jesus actually turns it on him in verse 19 and he says, Did not Moses give you the law? And yet none of you keepeth the law? Why go you out to kill me? Listen, as I said earlier, God gave Moses the law, the Ten Commandments. One of those commandments is do not kill, thou shalt not kill. What are they wanting to do with Jesus? They're wanting to kill Jesus. He said, you yourself are hypocritical. Look at verse 20. The people answered and said, thou hast the devil who goeth about to kill thee. In verse 20, the multitude responded to this great teacher by saying, Have you lost your mind? You are demon-possessed. You're demented. Who wants you dead? These are the people that actually have the audacity to call Jesus Christ demonic. Here's teaching number 6. I'm almost through. Look at verse 21. The Bible says, 
Jesus answered and said unto them, I have done one work, and ye all marvel. Moses therefore gave unto you circumcision, not because it is of Moses, but of the fathers. And ye on the Sabbath day circumcise a man. If a man on the Sabbath day receives circumcision, that the law of Moses should not be broken. Are ye angry at me because I have made a man every whit whole on the Sabbath day? Teaching number six is this. Now hang on. You hypocritically and justifiably break the law, then you hate and condemn others who have done good things. He's going back to John chapter 5 by healing that man at the pool of Bethesda. Listen, in the New Testament church age, there's, there's, no, there's no commending of circumcision like there was in the Old Testament. Matter of fact, it was given to Abraham, but then later made law by, by Moses and they would circumcise on the eighth day. And if a woman, listen, if a woman gave birth and it was counting down to eighth day, uh, they would still circumcise that baby on the eighth day. And Jesus says, so I heal a man and raise him who had never walked in 38 years. This man had been a paraplegic and, and, and I heal this man, but yet you can circumcise on the Sabbath day and it's good for you, but not good for me. Listen, what is that? That's hypocritical. Pharisees are hypocritical. And by the way, Christ beats them at their own game. J. Vernon McGee, he said this about this text. He said, uh, that there's many people today that has said that they can't do this or that on Sunday, but would sit down on Sunday dinner and murder the minister, and that was okay. Can I say that religious phonies cannot get the hypocritical beam out of their own eye? Let's not be Pharisees. Pharisees are too worried about what everybody else is doing, and they're righteous in their own eyes. But here's the last thing. Oh, this is good. Look what Jesus says in verse 24. Judge not according to the appearance, but judge righteous judgment. Teaching number seven, and the final teaching is this. Judgment is never to be according to appearance, but according to what is righteous. Let me just say this. I didn't say it. Jesus said it. That we should never judge according to appearance, but according to what is righteous. There are many people who go to church, listen, and they give the appearance that they are really right with God. You can be fooled by a dress and a suit. Can I get an amen? I don't like the term church clothes. Never have. I never liked it. Oh, I'm going to put on my church clothes. Well, listen, then won't you wear your church, won't you wear your suit and tie tomorrow? If it's good for Sunday, it's good for Monday. There's no uniform here. Oh, some of you had a hard time with that. Oh, I like it. I don't care if you wear seven ties on your head. Don't care. People say, Pastor, don't you have a dress code to church? No, it's called the Bible. We believe you ought to be modest. You can do whatever you... I know we're in the South. I know we're in Greenville. That is the buckle of the Bible belt. I know what everybody's supposed to look like. Here's what happens. When we judge the appearance, God sees the heart. 
He's more interested not in your suit, not in your comb over, not in your curly locks, not in your long flowing dress. He's right here. Let me ask you this. Jesus said that, by the way. Paul didn't say it. John didn't say it. A prophet didn't say it. Jesus said. So the next time, look at me church, don't miss this. The next time you're wanting to judge someone on the appearance, and I've seen it before, I've seen it at Bible Baptist. I've seen it here. I've seen someone walk in that you did, did not fit your mold and you give him the side glance. That's not of God. It's actually wicked. I don't see that. Listen, I don't see that a lot, but I'm just going to be transparent. It does happen. If they don't fit the criteria, if they don't look the part, if they don't smell the part, if they don't act the part, hey, then we are so, uh, we're so like prone to just judge them and say, yeah, they need Jesus. No, no, let me say, you need Jesus. You need Jesus. Listen, we are not interested in raising Pharisees here. Matter, matter of fact, I know Pharisees need Jesus and I know sometimes we err on the other side. And if you're not careful, there's danger on the other side of becoming Pharisaical as well. Guess where I want to be? Right in the middle where God is. There's Pharisees on both sides. There are actually churches around here that if you showed up in a tie, they would laugh at you. Or they would say, dude, what's, what's the fancy occasion? Can I get it? Y'all know what I'm talking about. There's churches that they would, you know, it's a little bit more casual and that's fine and and and, and I, I have no problem with that whatsoever but they would look at you and say hey you dressed up for the occasion now they may not judge you in a bad way they may welcome you and say hey you got money or i don't know i don't know how they'll look at you they may be impressed i don't know but nothing impresses god when it comes to the appearance we got to get over that we got to get that out of our mind. That's been baked in your mind by someone. And can I tell you, appearance, yes, I think you ought to take a shower. Yes, I think you ought to brush your teeth. Yes, I think you ought to put some clothes on. Yes, I think you ought to, you know, do whatever. But this, I'm going to wear my best for Jesus because if it was the president, I'd go, where do you find that in Scripture? What did Jesus wear to the temple? Did He take off His regular clothes and put on His church clothes to go to the temple? No. He walked in just like you did. Just like you ought to. And this kind of preaching will reveal one of two things. It will reveal those that have a hard time with the appearance. It will reveal another thing. It will reveal the heart. It, I love this kind of preaching because it makes you think. Nobody's up there going, Woo! Glory! Yes! Nobody's doing that because here's it is. It's heart examination time. I just don't think she looks... I just don't think she ought to be that. I just don't think she ought to... You're, what's your problem? I just don't think he... You know, you should notice how he just... I just don't think that he's just... Worthy of, and look at, how, look at how he's... Look at that. Look at that. You ever heard, how many of you have ever heard that before? I've heard that before. I've heard that my whole life. And I don't like it. Because God don't like it. Amen. 
John 7, and you, listen, if you see it otherwise, see me after service, I'd love to talk with you. I'm serious. If you see this text any other way, but here's how I read verse 24. Judge not according to the appearance, but judge righteous judgment. Here's the deal. Get the beam out of your own eye. Get the mirror of God's word and look at yourself. Amen. Just look at yourself. I think every one of you today got in a mirror today. At some point, I hope you did. Got into a mirror and you combed your hair, you brushed your teeth, you made sure everything was good. Got into a mirror at some point. Now, some of you spend more time in front of a mirror than others. Can I get an amen there? I know, I know. And we neglect the one mirror that we need the most. Right here. It's God's Word. You don't know what... When we judge somebody, you don't know what they're going through, do you? I've seen people judge people that bring kids. And automatically, somebody's kids misbehaves or somebody's... And so you're, you're sitting there and you're like, I can't believe people bring... I'm glad they bring kids to church. I'm glad. You don't know their situation. It could be chaos. And for us to sit there and judge somebody... Won't you just do a righteous judgment and examine yourselves according to the Scripture? All God's people said. Amen. Amen. Let's.